ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. Uh, Joe George behind the glass. It is a Taco Tuesday edition of the Killer Bees, my invention. Uh, the Twitchers are saying we're matching again. We are. We were you got black Greg. yesterday. Yeah, but to the, uh, I mean, well, to the camera's eye, I guess to the camera's lens, it kind of uh, it's like off whitish, and we both have white Rockets hats. Logo in the middle, yeah, and we have black headphones, and we're wearing white hats. Yeah, we kind of we kind of did dress the same again. Twitchers are right. Stop calling me. words that. Uh, Never thought I would say more than once in a week. Uh, Tuesday edition of the Beast. How, how are we doing? Um, I was watching film today. Yes, you were. Which is uh, so there was a little bit of a Twitter war going on earlier today. So I've heard. I um I like to envision our show a little bit. Do you ever have you ever watched the Soup on E? Yeah, I used to. Did you ever that watch the Soup on ago. E? Like I hadn't watched it in years. Right. Probably like maybe college. Maybe college. Who was like? Was it Scott McHale? I think was the son. Joel McHale. Joel McHale. Yeah. Joel McHale. Who, who in the world is Scott McHale? I have no Probably idea. Probably Kevin, Kevin McHale's <laughs> relative somewhere. Joel McHale. I think Joel McHale was the last time I watched The Soup. And there was two hosts. I think there was yeah. one before him, and then Scott McHale was the last host I ever watched. Joel McHale. Joel McHale. <laughs> I mean, it's been 15 years. Joel McHale. Um, and you remember they would just like go around like the world of reality television and talk about like what's hot. They basically there was basically sports center for reality television and they play the highlights of reality yeah. television that yeah. week. Yeah. I kind of envision our show like that a little bit with Houston sports media. Like whether it's happening on the highway to hell, whether it's happening on the flagship, whether it's happening on Twitter, like wherever it's happening, who cares, right? Like I kind of think that we're having a drink and talking about the going ons of Houston sports. I think that's like what makes our show like different than yep. others, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of a Twitter spat today on uh, on the Twitter. John Crumpler, who covers the uh, Houston Texans for I really don't even know who, maybe just for John Crumpler, who posts excellent content stuff on social media. And then Sarge, we know we know Sarge. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows who Sarge is. And I was doing my all twenty two stuff today, and then all of a sudden I got tipped off that Sarge, like, uh, what was the tweet, Joe? I probably I probably need to actually like find this exact. He, he basically thing. said that uh, media members, local media members, uh, who do film study, yes. he basically called y'all idiots. Yes, and said the players laugh at you. Yes, yes, because I am. I'm trying to get the attention of the players. Is you've what I'm trying it, to do. I gotten, have gotten. You have gotten. I have. I've gotten likes. John Grenard. I've gotten likes, yep, and yep. likes are approvals. We all know that. We know Back. that likes are approvals. Uh, yeah, his, the the exact tweet was. Let me tell you. Let me tell some of you local media members who started breaking down game tape of previous games. The players see your analysis, quote unquote, and they laugh because the more, majority of time you have no clue what they're supposed to be doing. Play call does matter. Uh, I I quote tweeted and said ouch, and then we had like a little gif off of like wrestling dudes but uh john crumpler like kind of went at him and then sarge went at john crumpler and like everybody's like up in arms who's well, wrong sarge actually responded to him yeah but what was funny though sarge like broke down game videos as recently as the cincinnati game so it's like oh. uh, you're kind of contradicting well, yourself a little oh. bit there sarge kind of contradicting yourself but that's been what's caught my attention today i thought that was very funny but anyways i got off track there uh cj Stroud, quarterback of the houston texans I- i'm sitting there and i'm watching him play and, and Look, I was blown away with him, blown away with Trevor Lawrence this past week. I thought both of them were really good. But I started to think about the long term of C.J. Stroud. I started to think about the future of C.J. Stroud. And like we've talked, here's a really weird comparison. We've talked about Henry To'o To'o. I think Henry To'o To'o is kind of playing really close to his ceiling. I think what we're seeing in his rookie year is really as close as he's going to get or as good as he's going to get as a professional. He's got a little bit of room, but not a ton of room. There's not a lot of runway. We've talked about other rookies in the history of the NFL. Like, was it Javon Kurz for Tennessee who had that unbelievable rookie year? Yeah. And that was his career year. Yep. He, he, that was the best year he ever had in his career. Uh, we've talked about it with RG3. Now, RG3 is a little different because RG3 was primarily because of injury. Yeah, he was crushed. It was because of injury. But we've seen rookies over the course of the you know history of the game that have had really good rookie years. And then they have good careers, but they never have as good a year as that first season. 
because some of them don't have the ceiling. Some of them don't have the runway to get much better. They are who they are when they come to the league, and then they kind of just, I don't want to use the word fizzle because they're still solid, but they never get better. How much room do you think C.J. Stroud has? How close to the ceiling do you think C.J. Stroud is? Well, I think there's still quite a bit of room because I think that, look, you can take all of the skill sets that he brings to the table that we already know that a lot of quarterbacks don't in terms of you know his touch and his ability to study the playbook and know his reads and know his progressions and know all those things. But then we also know that there are still from decisions that he makes or should or shouldn't make to throws and and just kind of understanding when you get more and more into the throws of the defenses and the schemes and things that you're going to continue to see. I, I still think there's a lot of room for him to polish the craft that he already has brought to the table, the skills that he already has, and become better. This is only his first year in a Slowick offense, and you know that as you know, you add more wrinkles to it and you become more comfortable with it, there's more dynamics you can pull out of it that you're going to be able to utilize on the field. So as much as we've seen a lot from him this year, we've seen quarterbacks across the NFL too that as good as they look in their first or second year as they continue to develop, you know that about three, four, five years in when they've really matured a little bit both mentally and physically with the, the, the speed of the game and everything that goes on in the NFL, they can get better. You um you bring up an interesting wrinkle and probably we'll go there. I don't know if it's today. I don't know when we'll go there. Maybe we'll go there right now. You say the first year of Bobby Slowick. Might be the only year. It's possible with Bobby Slowick. Mm-hmm. It could be the only year he has with Bobby Slowick, which is a wrinkle too in the sure. development and evolution uh, of CJ Stroud. Like RG three had the Shanahan's, didn't really have a very good second year, but I think they were fired after his second year, yeah. and then he was never the same player ever again. I, I agree with you that I, I believe CJ Stroud still has a ton of potential, and, and we. You can kind of look at, like, I think it's synonymous with the Houston Texans offense. Like, the Houston Texans offense is, I think, top seven in yards per game, but they're like fifth, they're like 13th, 14th in scoring. Why? Because they're leaving a little bit of meat on the bone. There's like, they're, they're this far away from clicking on all cylinders. And you can see that with Stroud. Like, Stroud's going to make throws that other quarterbacks can't make. Like, he's going to make the anticipation throw. He's really good at reading defenses, but he still has some room to, he has a lot of room to grow based on, like, Reps like, and I think this past week is a good example too. Taking sacks in critical times, like C.J. Stroud has proven to be a very good learner. He's proven to be somebody who's really good at learning from his mistakes. These sacks that he took in critical times, I think the next time he has that opportunity, he throws it at the feet of a running back yeah, to yeah. save a down, to save a play. And I don't think that it's like a talent thing where he's going to get far better, but it's more know-how it's of feel. the game. Yep. Yeah, it's a feel too. And I think that to your point. The other thing that I've always harped on when you and I have had these discussions, too, is take different quarterbacks that you can bring to the table as an example and understand that when you change coordinators, it's one thing. But if the system stays the same, there can be some cohesiveness. There can be a a transition that's a little more smooth. But when you take the Sam Darnolds of the world and some of the guys that have failed miserably, yes, it's possible that their talent levels and, and and their skill sets just weren't all there. But it's also fair and reasonable to say, it's one thing to change coaches and head coaches and coordinators multiple times in your first couple of years. But with each change, if you change the playbook and systematically it's a major change, mm-hmm. you can set a quarterback back years and maybe they're never, ever going to grasp the full concept of quarterbacking in the NFL because of it. I, I agree. I think that CJ would be fine. I think he'd be able to pick up on it quickly because yeah. look how quickly he picked up on this one. But... If the if the Houston whenever it is because Bobby Slowick's not going to be here forever, hopefully he's here for another year. But for whenever that happens, whenever the Texans have to replace their offensive coordinator, I'm almost hiring an offensive coordinator. Not that's like the absolute best that has like different language. I'm almost hiring the offensive coordinator that's going to come in with the same language. He's not going to change things. Like he's yeah. the best guy for that job. Does it mean that I pass up on other like OCs that might be better, but they have different terminology? They're going to change everything? Oh, well, I'm willing to do that because I want to keep everything as simple as possible for C.J. Stroud and to make sure that he doesn't have to learn new stuff because I think the continuity is very, very important. Just as important as your offensive line, this is protecting your franchise quarterback. This is allowing your franchise quarterback to still be great, to do the things that you expect him to do because the last thing that you want to do, as much as we don't want to go back and revisit Deshaun and Deshaun, wanting having a say-so in general managers and coaches and things like that. As it relates to a coordinator, because it's so important, especially with a defensive-minded head coach, 
for the quarterback to feel comfortable, for the quarterback to feel like he can progress and that he can grasp and he can go with whatever system you use. I totally agree with you. I think that there's no matter who the names are, and I certainly hope that much like we saw uh, with Ben Johnson with the, with the Lions, that Bobby Slowick in year one isn't going to be quick to say, I'm just going to take the first job that someone's you know offering to me. I want to make sure it's a good job for me. Plus, I'm just getting comfortable in what can be a really good situation here in Houston with D'Amico and with CJ. Yeah, and I think that Slowick is going to get interviews this year. Oh, like, for sure. Because interviews for sure. What he did with CJ Stroud, uh, the turnaround of the Houston Texans offense, I think Carolina. I think Carolina is the first one that came to my mind as well. Interview Bobby Slowick. Hopefully, they hire Benny Johnson because he has Carolina roots. I think he's from North Kakalaki. So hopefully, they hire him, which would be great. Uh, but as far as CJ Stroud's room to grow, like he's having an unbelievable rookie year. It's going to go down as potentially the greatest rookie year for a quarterback ever. Like he's going to break rookie quarterback, already has, but he's going to break seasonal rookie quarterback stats. If he stays healthy. So he's going to get there. He's going to do things that rookie quarterbacks have never done. But is there room to grow? Like, C.J. Stroud has a very, very real chance of being the uh, the leader in passing yards this year. In fact, he's probably going to jump Sam Howe as soon as this week, because I think Washington's on their bye this week. He could very well finish up as the, as the leader in passing yards in the NFL. And I would say maybe he never does that in his career again but still room to grow, room to get better. I think that areas he has the room to grow, like his skill is his skill. You know what I mean? Like his talent is his talent. But in terms of like accuracy, I think his accuracy is going to get a little bit better. And he's not bad. Like he's a ball placement specialist. But we talk about it like when we talk about Jalen Green's shooting percentages. How does Jalen Green improve his shooting without actually becoming a better shooter? Shot selection. I think it's the same thing with C.J. Stroud. These critical moments where Stroud has been really, really good as a rookie. Like this isn't critic. This isn't criticism at all. He's been really, really good in these areas. But the next time, instead of taking a sack in a critical moment when you're trying to drive down for a game tying field goal, instead of looking for six, maybe you look for three and you're playing for the overtime period. And instead of taking a critical sack because you're trying to do a little bit too much, you just simply throw it at the feet of Devin Singletary. You're taking a single. You're not taking a home run. You're trying to be Tom Brady as opposed to like John. Manziel, where you're doing the simple thing. I think that's where Stroud's room to grow is. He's already good in that aspect. I think he's going to excel. I think he's going to. I think he has a lot of runway. I don't think he's playing close to his ceiling yet. No, I, I agree, and I think that's that's the best case scenario for you, right? Because one, as you mentioned, we're probably seeing the best you know rookie season starting quarterback numbers that you're you've ever seen, and it might be what you it'll be might be that way for a long time because you just don't see guys come into the league and do the things that he's been able to do and kind of grasp everything as quickly as he been he's been able to grasp but with all that said because we do watch more than most and we watch it multiple times game in game out and we see you know and study and look at all those things, though we might not get the military recognition for how much work we put in. I mean, we are soldiers when it comes mm-hmm. to the Houston Texans. And what we try to do on a daily basis is tell you guys, hey, look, just like we say, what we, what you can't ignore in defeat, I mean, what you ignore in victory, you can't ignore. We make sure we point these things out because it's great to know with all that he's been able to do, he can get better. We've seen it even with Deshaun Watson. Yeah. When you try to extend plays, bad things happen. And the difference between the two is Deshaun didn't learn how to stop doing it. He still always wanted to do it. I think CJ's proven he knows for the benefit of the team, the offense, a drive, he's not going to continue to do those things and take those big losses as opposed to getting rid of a football, wasting it or using a quick dump down to realize you live to fight another day. Yeah, I think that there's still a lot of room for CJ Stroud to get better. And this, look, I'll say that this could potentially be his best statistical season ever. (laughs) But the stats don't make you the better quarterback. Like, the stats aren't going to be what define him. And I know that we live in, like, these number-hungry society where all of us play fantasy football and we're playing these prop bets and things like that. Give me Tom Brady. Give me Tom Brady over a dude who throws for 350 yards every single game. I think that's what is going to be determining, like, what is his ceiling. Are you Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow? Or are you Josh Allen and Justin Herbert? And I think he's more of the former. And that, like, the stats are going to be there for all four guys. Those guys, when you look at raw numbers, it's all there. But can you get victories in the playoffs? Yep. Like, I think the numbers are going to be there for CJ for a long time. It's going to be about wins, not about stats. But you know where else it can change, guys, where he can get better? If the personnel around him changes and gets better. If he gets a running back, another a running back that's that's you know can yeah. take some of the heat off of him. If he gets, whether it's a wide receiver one or his wide receiver room gets better or the tight end position changes, he can get better simply because of the talent around him, too, because now he can do more things 
and he has more comfort in knowing if I got to run the football, we can run the football. Yeah, it's like, what is it, the rising tide or whatever raises all boats? Like, Stroud's kind of been that rising tide, but what if the boats get better? You know, what if the boats turn from being like sailboats to these, you know, really good speedboats? What a weird analogy. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. We're on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. This clown over here is Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. That joker over there is Joe George Radio on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Brandon. Busy show. It's a song, oh. Blankers. It's a song. Oh, uh, Steve Miller band. Cash them or I had no idea who sang it. Uh, cash them or trash them. We do that at four thirty. What are we cashing and trashing this week? We have the Jordan rules. Do we need to institute the tank rules? Thanks to Uncle Jack for that one. And it is also an overreaction Tuesday. Plus Texans observations for free ninety nine. We love that, right? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Where can Stroud get better? How close is he to his ceiling? Also. This division, guys, this AFC South, I think it's turning into one of the best divisions in the entire NFL. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Kane is in the building. <laughs> Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, deep inside the secret bee cave, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's Blank. I'm Branham. 713-780-ESPN. Uh, you should take a day off work and play a fun round of golf with your favorite sports station. Every round of golf is always fun. Uh, but come play with us, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5, occasional invitation. It's been benefiting kids' mills, so good cause. We're very charitable here at ESPN. Uh, this year's tournament will take place Wednesday, December 13th. That's coming up, 10.30 a.m., Wildcat Golf Club. It's always great weather on December 13th in Houston. Each golfer will receive beverages from St. Arnold Brewing, tasty. Lunch from Cypress Trail Hideout, which is delicious, home of Papa Charlie's Barbecue. It's fantastic. That's where I saw Blankers put ketchup on a baked potato. Yep. Uh, dinner from Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage. Best fajitas inside the loop. 18 holes of golf. Quick award ceremony immediately after the tournament. Register now. ESPN97.5.com under the promotions tab. Go to ESPN97.5.com. Look for the promotions tab. Register there. We hope to see you out December 13th for the occasional invitational. All right. Um, the AFC South, Blankers, mm-hmm. this division's getting pretty good. Uh, no one wants to give the division flowers. We know the AFC South has, for the most part, been a pretty poor division ever since they went to four divisions outside of, like, Peyton Manning. Um, yeah, they've had playoff teams here and there, et cetera, et cetera. But you went into this season, you're probably looking at the AFC South and the NFC South as the two worst divisions in the NFL. I think you can put that misnomer to rest. Jacksonville, 8-3, and three, they're a half game back from the top seed in the AFC. I think Jacksonville's legit. Like, I think they're a top three AFC team. I think they are for real. Uh, the Colts have tons of injuries. They're without Anthony Richardson. Jonathan Taylor was holding out, and, well, I guess he really wasn't holding out. He was on the IR for the start, and now he's going to be missing the next two to three weeks with a thumb injury. They're 6-5. and five. I love Shane Steichen. Like, I like D'Amico Ryans. Shane Steichen can coach his tail off, and if they can get Anthony Richardson healthy, that's a team that I'm... I think has a chance to be really good for the coming years. Same thing with the Texans. Like, we think the arrow is pointing up on the Houston Texans. Titans, eh. I I don't really feel great about the future of the Tennessee Titans. There's rumors that Mike Vrabel might be trying to get away, uh, that there's kind of a, you know, the power struggle between he and Ron Carthon. Yeah, it's probably a better word. Disconnect and power struggle. Um, Derrick Henry, he's still really, really good, but he's getting older. Like they, they seem like a veteran team outside of Will Levis, but you, you know, Will Levis has just kind of been pretty mediocre outside of that very first game. How good's he going to be? That those are serious questions. I look at the AFC South, like this is the new division on the block. I look at the AFC South as potentially in the next two to three seasons. We're talking about the AFC South not as a bottom dweller. We're talking about them as one of the top two, three divisions in all of football. Yeah, when you look at it and you know that you have that stable of upcoming quarterbacks in the division, it already has the makings of that. But when you look at it from a team perspective, you mentioned the Colts. We knew for the last three years the Colts had the rest of the roster. That's why Chris Ballard, the GM, kept trying to to you know find anybody that he could plug and play from Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan, just trying to find some guy to be the guy that could just do enough to carry the roster with them. And then once they realized it just wasn't working, they finally just completely threw that philosophy aside and went, okay, then we're going to go with the guy we can groom, and then he got hurt. But you know that he can play, and like you said, because he's playing for a coach that really builds an offense and a structure around his skill sets in Richardson, it has a better chance to succeed. But we know what we got in CJ in Houston. There's a chance that you can find that in Tennessee with your guy. Um, But overall, you look at the division and realize just because of the up-and-coming quarterbacks, 
it might not be noticeable this year, but you have to see like the plan. You have to pl- see like the framework being set for a division that can be good for a long period of time. Because when you look at as good as Mahomes has been with the Chiefs, the Raiders have been a massive disappointment. The Broncos now have won five in a row, but no one thought that they were going to be any good. No, no one gives them a whole lot of credit. I mean, when you're looking at what we used to think was the trash NFC East, the fact that the the the, the Washington football team has the Commanders haven't been bad, but when you and the Giants have been after a year making the playoffs, but the Eagles and the and the, and the Cowboys take that to another level. When you get to three, that's when you have a difference maker, right? The North used to have. You know, the Vikings, the Lions on the rise, the Packers. Yeah. That's what three makes it. You're talking deep. You're talking depth now. Look, the AFC South is deep right now. They have three teams that are above 500. They have two teams that would be in the playoffs, and you have a third team, the Houston Texans, that are tied for the last playoff spot. Like, the tech, the, the AFC South might already be there. Like, and I know that in sports we're, we're hesitant and we're slow to make, like, these grand proclamations. Like, we saw it with C.J. Stroud. Well, you know, I don't want to say he's top half of the league yet. I don't want to say he's top ten yet. I don't want to say he's top five, top three yet. I think we can have the same conversation with the AFC South. Well, in two to three years, it might be one of the best divisions in the NFL. We're looking at it right now. We're looking at the standings today, right this second. AFC South has two playoff teams, three teams that are 500 or better, and could potentially, if Pittsburgh and Cleveland kind of fades away, they could potentially have three playoff teams in the in the playoffs this season. It's crazy because we're talking about the AFC South as potentially the worst division in the league coming into this year. I mean, right now they're one of three, one of two divisions with three teams above 500, and the other one's the a- AFC, AFC North, North yeah, which yeah. I think the AFC North is a fraud league now. It's now, because of injuries. Burrow, yeah, Burrow gets because of hurt, injuries. and that changes it. Because otherwise, just what you saw from an overachieving Steelers team to add to Bengals and Deshaun going down with the Browns. Yep. But when you look at those teams, you go, that's as solid as any, like you said, from a depth perspective. If everybody perspective, was healthy. It, that is the most solid division in football. Yeah, I would it, agree if everybody's healthy. It's, it's the most, like, you go into a season, if Kenny Pickett's not the quarterback for Pittsburgh next year, you'll be able to make a, a sound argument for all four teams to win that division Even next Kenny Pickett, though, like, Lately, he's not losing games for you. Uh, he had his best game pretty much ever yeah. last week. Coincidentally, right after they fired Matt Canada, first game without Matt Canada. Like, like that matters. I'm just I'm curious if there was a sign of life from Kenny Pickett all of a sudden. Yeah, like the AFC North is is good whenever they're healthy. This year it looks kind of like damaged goods because like okay, the Pittsburgh Steelers are winning with smoke and mirrors, good defense, but an offense that's right. like whatever, and like they're fighting in the locker room. Cleveland just has quarterback issues, but despite quarterback issues, they're seven and four because that defense is really good. And Cincinnati's an NFL Super Bowl contender if they're healthy, if they have Joe Burrow. So I, I'm not going to sit here and fight AFC North, AFC East. That's a two division. Uh, that's a two team division. Like Miami, I think is really good. They have one of the best offenses in the NFL. Buffalo Bills. I think that they're, I think they're overrated, but they're still solid. Like they're still a playoff caliber team. Jets, the injury Patriots are dreadful. One of the worst teams in the mm-hmm. NFL. Kansas City, sorry guys. I think it's a one team division. Like the Chargers, like the Charge. I I want to give the Chargers the benefit of the doubt every can't. single week. I'm sorry. You're like you're just losing too many games. I can't trust you. Vegas with, is lousy. Even Denver's with busy mid. money, I quit on the Chargers yeah. because I kept trying to believe they were going to straighten out because there's too much talent and maybe. Bad coaching can screw up good talent because I can't do it anymore. They're, I think that's a one-team division. NFC East, I mean, you have two really good teams at the top. Like you, Philadelphia might be the best team in the NFL, and I have to give Dallas credit. That's a really good football team, even if they are like second tier in the NFL. Really good football team. So two-team division there. NFC North, does anybody other than Detroit scare you? And Detroit nope. just lost a home game to Green Bay. Like, is the NFC North lousy? And they almost lost to Chicago the week before. Yeah. Like, Detroit's kind of fall, falling apart. NFC South is the worst division in the league. They don't oh, have yeah. a single team above 500. Right now, Atlanta and New Orleans South. are tied for first place at 5-6. and six. Dogs, And man. the NFC West is, I think, a one-team division. Sorry, Seattle. I love Sean McVay. I just don't think the roster is nearly good enough. Any? Do you all detect any lies there? Like no. the AFC South Mm-mm. might be in the conversation as having a top three division right now today. This second, this second. Yeah, I, I think, I think because of injury, I would say otherwise it's the AFC North. But it's hard to argue the fact that you've got you have some depth, but you have the potential for a long run with this division because it starts with quarterback and coach. And I think you've got quarterback and coach in play. And like you said, Vrabel's the right guy for any job. But if Vrabel's not happy there, someone's going to hire Mike Vrabel real quick. I think he might be the next head coach in New England. Sorry, Gerard Mayo. I think there's a chance. I think there's like a 25% chance. I think Vrabel he's got a good name there and a, and, a, and a firm backing and Kraft knows him enough that there's a good chance there. 
yeah, it's just which direction do you want to go? If you want to go full reset, then you groom Mayo as long yeah. as as you groom and restart a roster. If you feel like you can pick up the pieces and want to move forward a little quicker than that, then you go Vrabel. The um the one knock on the AFC South as it pertains to this year, maybe not in the future years, but this year is that they don't have the elite team like some of these other divisions do. Like Miami, probably a leader than Jacksonville. Baltimore would be. Kansas City would be. Philadelphia would be. NFC North. I think Detroit and Jacksonville are probably on par. It's just that Detroit plays in a weaker NFC than Jacksonville, plays in a stronger AFC. And then the NFC West, you have San Francisco at the top. I think that we sleep on Jacksonville a little bit. I think Jacksonville is better than like the national perspective on Jacksonville because they're Jacksonville. Like If you had this Jacksonville roster and you put them in New England uniforms, I think we're talking about a Super Bowl contender. Really? I, yeah, because I, I think that Peterson Peterson's a ball coach, starting won a Super Bowl. He, he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles and made Carson Wentz look like an MVP. And I'm telling you, dude, Trevor Lawrence can play. Trevor can Lawrence play. is a top five quarterback. I feel like, and I can't put my, maybe it is a, a more, a, 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 like a, a stronger running game. I don't know what it is that there's just something that feels like it's slightly missing. They're a playoff team. They're going to be, the, they're going to win the division. They're a good team. I just can't say they're a Super Bowl contending team. And and I don't know if that's because at the start of the year the AFC is was loaded, but it's not about the AFC to me. It's they just seem to be missing something as good as they are. I hear you. They're the second best team in the AFC. I think they're missing the cachet. Are they better of than Baltimore? Being a name brand team. I think they are better than Baltimore. I, if they're not better, they're equals. Yeah, that, exactly. I think it's very much a two A two B with the Kansas City Chiefs like six miles in front of them. See, I think that it just depends on what are. you value with each team, right? Because Lamar, in a lot of people's minds, is on on pace to win an MVP again. And, and so you've got advantage from the quarterback, if you believe that, with Baltimore. From a defensive perspective, I think Baltimore is a tick above Jacksonville in, in terms of their overall defense. Their defense is better. Yeah, Baltimore's defense is better. I think Jacksonville's offense is but better. But I was going to say, I think I would overall as an Lawrence. offense, I think Jacksonville is a better offense. I would take Lawrence over Lamar, and that might be... Wild. Maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. I'm just telling you what my eyes tell me. Got to trust your eyes. I, I take Trevor Lawrence right now over uh, over Lamar Jackson. Now I would also take CJ Stroud over Trevor Lawrence next three years. Yeah, I would too. But I think that when you look at that, the, the comment you just made about whether you take Lamar or whether you take uh, Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, you take Trevor Lawrence because he's won. He wins playoff games with, with Lamar. You just don't know because as good as Lamar is in the regular season, Lamar in the playoffs has been James Hardenish. In a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but you haven't seen enough of Trevor Lawrence right. in the playoffs. Two games. But I think that, yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence looks like he can hold his own in the playoffs. We'll see how that all plays out. But I think it's a good conversation to have because I, I don't think I would have expected to put Jacksonville in the top three in the AFC at the start of the year. But I didn't expect the injuries that we've seen across the board in the AFC. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Where do you stack up the AFC South amongst the other divisions in the NFL? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Okay, I, I broke down the film. All the film doesn't lie. We had a lot of questions. We wanted to watch the film first. All the film for free ninety nine Texans analysis. You won't get anywhere else, and it's free. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Killer bees on ESPN ninety seven five. ESPN ninety two five. First, a moment on HRMP, Human Resources and Payroll. It's Cougar owned by Mike Holly, members of the Cougar one hundred for the eighth year in a row. You've seen the HRMP signage U of H games, or they're building off the Beltway. Business owners, let HRMP help you. HR compliance, benefits administration, payroll, onboarding. HRMP can help in any or all of those areas. There's no boxes with HRMP. Doesn't matter how small the job, how big the job. HRMP can. Completely customizes a plan for what you and your business need. You have a problem, you have an issue, you want to take a little bit off your plate, HRMP will find a way to help. They do it in a way that's unique, too. Technology meets service. They have the best technology, but you will fall in love with their service. Guaranteed fulfillment. You'll never talk to a stranger. You'll be talking to someone who knows you. They know your business needs. They care for you. They care for your business. They're not just punching the clock. They want the best for your business. Give them a call right now, 281-880-6525, and let HRMP customize a plan for you, 281-880-6525, or check them out at hrp.net. That's hrp.net. You're back where you belong, in the Veritex Community Bank Studios with the killer bees who won't sting you unless provoked. Here's Joel and Jeremy. He's blank. I'm Branham, 713-780-ESPN. 
Uh, you want some all 22 things for free 99? The best Texans analysis you can get anywhere, uh, including Vera's Twitch name, which, you know, you know what his Twitch name is on the in our Twitch chat? Vera. That's not his name. Oh, it's H-O-U football. Okay. On our Twitch chat. Vera's is. It really is. I'm not making that up. Um, we had some questions about certain things. Like, I, I think that the... The biggest thing that we wanted to like kind of watch the tape on was was CJ Stroud trying to do too much. Like that's a narrative we heard a lot yesterday. Oh, Stroud was trying to do too much in the game on Sunday. He was trying to play hero ball. He was trying to be the star. He was trying to, you know, win the game, put the team on his back. I I was critical of that uh before I watched turned on the film and, and did the the film study and did the deep, the deep dive. I think there is some validity to it. I think there's there's a few plays where Stroud's like, okay, you got the back right there. Why don't you dump it down for a gain of four as opposed to trying to do too much? All of a sudden, turns into a sack, turns into an incomplete pass, uh, things like that. Now, I think that there's a lot of variables that come with that. I don't think he trusted the offensive line at all. We saw early and often how much Jacksonville was getting pressure on C.J. Stratt. It started with Titus Howard getting absolutely destroyed by the interior of the Jags defense. Josh Allen had a really good game. He did. Lined up mostly against Laramie Tunsil. Like, he wasn't always lined up on Tunsil, but if you went Josh Allen versus Laramie Tunsil and you stacked it up like a boxing match like we did yesterday with C.J. Stratt and Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen won the fight yep. against Laramie mm-hmm. Tunsil, and there's no doubt about it. They also generated some pressure. Like, Walker was creating some pressure. Like, we've heard, oh, Walker's terrible. Walker looked pretty good. The, the fact that I heard his name several times and I was like, whoa, yeah. wow, that was kind of uh, uh, an eye-opener for me because he had basically been you know, a forgotten guy since he got drafted so high. Ain't Hutch, but Walker showed up a little bit on, on the film to me. Uh, so I think that, that a lot of led to the variables of Stroud trying to play hero ball or Stroud trying to do too much. I think that he was trying to, like, he wanted the victory really bad. Uh, I think he does struggle in terms of, like, okay, let's take a check down on third and 12 and live to fight another day or take a check down on third and 12 and make it a favorable field goal. I think he's looking for the big play. He's looking for the conversion. He's looking for the first down, which I can understand, especially for a young quarterback. But also never trusted the offensive line. He felt pressure all game, couldn't get comfortable in the pocket. Like he was always, like he's kind of happy footed because I think yeah. he didn't trust the offensive but, line. And it's the first time I've really seen it from Stroud this year. Let's just think about the, the, the whole combo platter of all of it, right? I agree with you. I don't think he trusted the offensive line. I think he knew you couldn't run the football. I, I think as much as. And they abandoned it too. I mean, before they even had abandoned it, he saw enough of it to realize we're not running the football today. So that's out. The offensive line is shaky at best and not giving him any protection. And because of the fact that he has been able to do what he's been able to do, whether you read the press clippings or not, you're feeling pretty good about your ability to make plays and have things go your way to where you can pull a game out. So I I don't think there's any doubt that he was thinking along the lines of whether it's, I think I have to win this game myself or I can win this game myself, which every good quarterback should feel. I think that a lot led to that, uh, the, the, the fact that he was extending plays, he was trying to do maybe too much, was because of all those variables lumped into one, and basically, that's that, that's a characteristic in a confident quarterback that you're not mad at. You can alter it. You can tweak it. But you're not mad at it because you got to have that a mentality if you are a good quarterback in the NFL. And it's also, like, one thing to try to create plays and then another to, like, put the ball at risk. Like, he didn't really do that. Like, there was one ball that was tipped at the line that, that like, ricocheted around. That could have been a pick. But that's a ball that's tipped at the line. Uh, so he wasn't, like, he wasn't careless with the ball. He was more just cry, trying to create some plays. And it's like, and it wasn't all the time. Like, there's times whenever he had to. Like, the rush is on him immediately. There's nothing open. I didn't think Slowick called a great game, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, I would put more blame on Slowick than Stroud. Or Stroud had to abandon the pocket and roll out quickly because if he didn't, he was going to get hammered and get sacked. One, like, general thought, and it's not like one specific play at all, and it's kind of really been all season long. I would love to see Stroud trust the running backs more in the passing game. In the game. passing game, like, yes. There was multiple times where Singletary's like wide open for like at least five, six yards before he's not like before he's touched. And then he's a running back. Maybe he can beat a guy one on one and break a five, six yard gain into a twelve, thirteen yard gain. Uh that's one area that I would criticize Stroud at, especially in this game against Jacksonville. He had Singletary a lot of times wide open, gets you five, six yards. But as it relates to just with his progressions. Even when it wasn't Singletary, there were a few times that I noticed that he gets he, he gets kind of hell-bent on one side of the field, and then he loses sight of a safety valve on the other side, whether it be an out route. It might yeah. only get you a couple yards before the secondary comes up to get you, but you can salvage a couple of yards out of it. And a lot of times I think he gets so laser-focused on one half of the football field, that's where he missed Singletary or he yeah. missed one of the receivers. I, I would disagree with that. 
for the season, I would totally agree in the I'm Jacksonville just, I'm just game. talking about strictly the game. Strictly Sunday. the Jacksonville game, I saw that too, and I haven't seen that from mm-hmm. Stroud. Like Stroud's been really good at like one, two, three, moving the head around. And also it on the, having the eyes more to the middle of the Swivel. field. So that yeah, so that he could go either He's way. Been great at that. Yeah, he wasn't in the so Jacksonville, Jacksonville game. He was if he was looking one direction, he was staying one direction. Um, I'm blown away by Trevor Lawrence. Like Trevor Lawrence is a dude. Trevor Lawrence can play. I got to see more consistency. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just me zeroing in on this one game, and he yeah. played really, really well. But I thought this whenever they played the first time, and he, he didn't win. Um, like what is the one of the biggest criticisms on Trevor Lawrence? Well, he doesn't no have touch. any touch. Go yeah. look at that pass he made to Christian Kirk on the second to last play of the first half and tell me he doesn't have any touch. Look at a couple of the deep balls down the right sideline and tell me he doesn't have touch. Also, like his intes- his anticipation throws, they're they're even with CJ. The ball Stroud. Messi dropped was and you and I talked about it yesterday. Like you could not have placed that oh, ball or, I mean Ridley. The ball that Ridley dropped in the corner of the end zone when when Stevie Nelson tripped. Whether Stevie Nelson tripped or not. That's going to be a hard-as-hell play to defend unless you're just knocking his arms after he gets his hands on it because that ball was placed the only place you could yeah. place it, and it was perfect. There was another one to Kirk, I think, in the fourth quarter. that like, he It was a great ball that flat-out dropped, and it's like, ugh, help him out a little bit. Not that I wanted that to happen. I, I think Trevor Lawrence is legit. I think he and C.J. Stroud are going to have a fantastic rivalry going forward, and it's going to be fun watching those two quarterbacks go to head-to-head, these two teams going head-to-head. They also get rid of it very quickly. Like We were kind of critical of mm-hmm. not delivering pass rush against uh, – Trevor Lawrence, they get rid of it very, very fast. Uh, defensively, I thought Jalen Petrie played one of the best games that he's played in a while. What was interesting to me is he played in the box a lot. He, he wasn't asked to play a whole lot of free safety, which whenever we've seen Jalen Petrie play some free safety, he's kind of getting burnt yeah, at times. Now, you don't have a great option next to him right now because you're playing a lot. You're playing DeAndre Houston Carson's playing every single snap. They miss Jimmy Ward badly. And when Jimmy Ward comes back, I want to see more Jimmy Ward free safety, Jalen Petrie playing in the box like he was against Jacksonville. And, and one thing we know about Jalen Petrie, he likes to stick his, stick his nose in there and deliver a blow or two, too. And we know that he, he you know, he can tackle. We saw that with his numbers last season. Uh, I think that he can he can have, you know, a, a good positive effect on the defense from that aspect. I think that what I didn't see that I saw in a lot of these games over the last month when they were playing good football was just that whole brother-in-law thing that I was talking about yesterday in the fact that when one of the guys, whether it was a game off or plays off, we, we saw because of the injury that the defensive line was disrupt, disrupted because you had Rankins and Collins and one guy was doing it, and if he wasn't, the other guy was. That didn't happen. It, we, we, we've talked about the fact that when 2020 was playing well, well, then Christian Harris was maybe a step, not doing as much. But one guy was picking up the slack for the other. It didn't happen in the front seven against Jacksonville. And from the secondary standpoint, kind of the same thing. Stevie Nelson didn't have his best game, although he got screwed on a call. But, you know, and from a Stingley perspective, I think he played good. I thought he played really well. Yeah, and he got the pick, which it's not his fault, but no. if they throw it to me, catch it. Yeah, like that's, like, cool, you get a pick, like, Awesome. It's just how that's he great. plays overall in coverage. There was there was some coverage plays. I was like, man, that's that's some really good coverage there. I'd like to see his hand eye coordination get a little bit better. Like, there's a couple that he could have got a hand on just to bat away that he didn't. Um, couple, two other things, real quick. The I, I was really surprised how much Brevin Jordan played on that final series over Dalton Schultz. That was kind of eye popping to me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Brevin Jordan is playing to see nine running around on the field a little bit. It was, uh, I think, I'm he had not one sh- catch in the first half. I don't remember. I think but he had one. The final series, I don't think Dalton Schultz played. I think Brevin Jordan was on, this, on the field every single snap really? on the final drive, which is like, huh, that's interesting. Brevin Jordan hasn't played a whole lot. Dalton Schultz has been one of your best pass catchers, yet you have Brevin Jordan in crunch time and not Dalton Schultz. I find that to be curious. I don't know if it was a mistake. I don't know if it's because they trust Brevin maybe more in pass protection. Uh, I don't think it's a great look for Dalton Schultz being here beyond this year. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but just saying. And then one small thing that I just want us to keep our eyes on. This, this, I'm not making a take here. Uh, I'm not like saying that this is a problem or an issue. I just want us to store this in our mind so we think about it if it ever pops up. Sometimes I'm not a huge fan of Nico Collins' body language. Sometimes he's kind of moping around a little bit. Sometimes it seems like he's pouting a little bit. Again, I'm not trying to make a mountain out of a molehill here. I'm not having a take. I'm just saying let's just store that in our minds. Let's just remember that. Let's just have it up there upstairs that sometimes Nico Collins' body language is not fantastic. I noticed a few times where he's kind of moping around, didn't get the ball, jumping up and down, and then kind of pouting off the field. You know I hate that with Kyler. Kyler Murray is the poster child for that, in my opinion. I think that Caleb Williams does it a lot. I'll, I'll look. A little, I'll have to focus a little bit more on that because I hate that. Because 
that is a disruption. That is a distraction that you don't need, whether it's in the locker mm-hmm. room and it festers or because you just talked about earlier about what happened in Pittsburgh. That's how those things happen. When the body language gets bad and then it gets louder and then there's verbals with it and then other players hear it and then you've got disruption in your locker room. You don't need for a young team that's yeah. trying to do something. I don't want to go that far yet. But let's just keep an eye on it. Let's just keep an eye on it to see if it's something that festers in the future. 713-780-ESPN-HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. The NIT continues tonight. The NBA in-season tournament continues tonight. The Rockets with a win win their group. The biggest Houston Rockets basketball game since, I don't know, the last time they were in the playoffs might be the biggest Rockets basketball game since they had the dream and they won the back-to-back titles. And it's in late November. I am fired up for some high-stakes basketball tonight. How fired up are you for this critical NBA in-season tournament, the NIT, for the Rockets tonight? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, tell you about the good people at Apollo Men's Health. Apollo Men's Health doing a lot for you, whether it's the holidays and it's got you down and it's wearing you out, or just overall for the whole year, you feel like you're struggling. You're in a rut you can't get out of. You don't have the energy you once had. Maybe it's at work and you just feel like you can't focus. Or maybe it's in the gym and you can't get the workouts done and you're just feeling lethargic. They can help you in those ways and so many more. They have a ton of services that can better help you in three locations near downtown Houston. It can start with all the different ways they can get more energy in your life on a daily basis. As simple as a B12 shot every week like I get, or you can take it to the next level and get hormone therapy for both men and women that can give you more energy on a daily basis and then some. And you can find out all the different ways either you administer it at home you go in and get it done there. It doesn't matter. They'll take care of it to make it as easy as possible on you. As I mentioned with the gym, if you want to figure out how the what kind of gains you're making, even when you feel like you're kind of stuck, well, get a full body composition analysis on your first visit. Then get a couple, get one every couple of months and, and find out when your numbers look good, when your body fat goes down, when your muscle mass goes up. They help you in a variety of ways because they care about their patients. Go to ApolloMH.com right now. See all the services that they offer. If there's a few you think that could interest and benefit you, Sign up for your first appointment right there online. Most major insurance is accepted. They got discounts for military personnel and first responders. Mention my name, Joel Blank, on your first official visit, a B12 shot for you or a body composition analysis to get you going and get off on the right foot. Then let it go from there. And by the way, if you don't have time to get to the gym and you need to lose weight, FDA-approved semi-glutide now available at all the Apollo locations. You can lose up to six pounds every week without getting on a treadmill or lifting a weight. They're here to help. Check them out and tell them I sent you by. They're good people doing great things. Go see the people at Apollo Men's Health. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. All right, he's Blank, I'm Branham. NBA in-season turn. Group B is on the line tonight. I have a date with the Shin, the Space City Home Network, to watch the uh, the Rockets take on the Mavericks tonight for the Group B tie. I'm I'm excited for this, Blankers. I, I'm leg- I'm serious. I know tweet, people are acting like I, I'm I'm not being sincere with the NBA in season tournament, the NIT NBA in season tournament. Adam Silver called it the NIT without even realizing he called it the NIT. I ordered an NIT shirt earlier today. Fired up for the game tonight. Rockets in Dallas. Rockets are three and a half point dogs here. So I'm a little worried. Rockets have not won a road game, so I'm a little worried. But you hear all the comments coming from the locker room. They're they want to get to Vegas. I'm excited because they're excited. Well, and you and I have had this kind of discussion going on for a while about do you like it or not, the NIT tournament. Look, I think it's drawn some more eyeballs. I think that it's really good for the teams that don't think. I think that the top of the top don't care, and that's because they have higher aspirations, and I think they have older superstar players that just aren't going to turn it up an extra notch for this tournament. But I think it's awesome for a team like the Rockets because we look at the baby steps and the, and the smaller victories. This would be a massive victory. Not just winning. Not I'm not saying winning it, getting to Vegas because – For the last two years, there's no way that you could have even fathomed that that team would have been good enough to even scratch the surface of getting to Vegas. But if they win tonight and get to Vegas, that's the first box that you can check to say there's progress being made. Yes, because of their defensive rating. Yes, because of their coach. Yes, because of the way we've seen a difference in the style of play on both ends of the floor. But this is tangible where you can say they're beating some good teams. They beat Denver twice who are in their, their division for this. 
this is something where you can say, we're getting there, guys. You can use this as a teachable moment, too, as a coaching staff going, these are the kind of things that we can start checking off regularly. We keep playing like this. Yeah, this is, like, I, I did like the idea of the NBA in-season tournament. Uh, I like the idea of, look, high-stakes basketball in November and into December, whenever a lot of people talk about how basketball doesn't really, or the NBA doesn't really start till Christmas Day. Now you're going to have an NBA in-season tournament and a knockout and a do-or-die that, yeah, it's not the playoffs, yeah, you're not going to get a ring, you're not going to play a parade, but you're going to have dudes that are going at it for five hundred grand. Like, that's significant. Mm-hmm. Like, $500,000 is a lot of money. So the group stage, like, they're kind of filling it out. Like, I don't think anybody's, like, losing their mind about group stage, but once you get into the knockout stage and you have do-or-die bracket basketball, like, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament, you're going to see guys, like, that are eager, that are driven, that once you play hard, and I think you're on to something, too. I think that the NBA in-season tournament is for the up-and-coming teams. Like LeBron. Le- Lakers aren't great. But LeBron. How much is LeBron going to care about $500,000 being the leader of the Lakers? Probably not a ton. I think the same thing with the Warriors. Like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, right. Draymond Green. How much are they going to fight for five hundred grand and winning an NBA season tournament when they've been a champion? Same thing with Giannis in Milwaukee. Like They might end up winning it because they have the best roster, but they're not going to have that drive desire. What I want to see the NBA season, uh, the NBA in-season tournament turn into, the NIT, is kind of like the mid-class title. These young, mm-hmm. up-and-coming, eager, hungry teams that are fighting for something. $500,000 means more to Alpi Shingun and Jalen Green than it does to LeBron James. But also, I think it helps those teams' development. No doubt. Because, like... I think that making the playoffs is great for young teams, even if you lose, because you, you've been to a war. You've been to a battle, and you learn from those battles, and you learn from those wars. So you learn more in the postseason than you do a November 25th basketball game. And then I also translate that to, like, tonight. Like, tonight's a significant game for these young Rockets trying to advance in this NBA in-season tournament. Not as much as the playoffs. I'm not saying that, but far more than some random November 15th game last year. Plus, you don't have to beat a team that is a lesser than. You have to beat a good team like the Dallas Mavericks with two superstars. So there's extra motivation in doing that. You beat a good team to get there, and you get there. And and who wouldn't want to see, and I know this is tough for some that aren't the biggest NBA purists or or the biggest fans of the, the league, but if you saw Oklahoma City, Orlando, New Orleans, Houston, young up and coming teams that got to battle it out knowing, hey, we might not be there in, in June doing this, but we may be there in a couple of years doing this, and this is a really good next step for us and yeah. see them playing hard. I think a lot of people, that's where you're really going to get the eyeballs, and that's where you're going to get the hype train to kind of, and everybody to jump on. Did you ever watch that, uh, what do they just call it, the tournament, right? Now they call it the TBT. The, that's right, the basketball the, tournament. Yeah. Did you ever watch that? I did. I watched it all the time. I would. I, I watched it as well, I, and I, I thought it was cool. And, like, you saw, like, I... I it's still like below the NBA to me, obviously. It's below college basketball to me. But then you have like these random basketball games on that dur- that are during the off season. They're usually like a few players that you remember from their college yeah. days. I really want a Houston Cougar uh, TBT like alumni team because a lot of these teams are alumni teams. Yeah, but one of the alumni teams I asked you about it had yeah Rob Gray played Rob on Gray. It. He played yeah. on. It. I think he's played it at, like each of the last three years. Yeah. Like I want to see a Houston Cougar alumni team in the TBT. I think that would be awesome. But like. Why do why do we turn that on? Like why do we turn that? Why does ESPN carry that? Is because they're playing for a million dollars. And I know that these are rich athletes and all of that. But whenever you see a semifinal game, whenever there's five hundred thousand dollars up top, whenever there's a final in this uh, NIT NBA in season tournament, and they're playing for five hundred thousand dollars, I think that final is going to be intense. I think the semifinals are going to be intense. And for me, that's far more entertaining than watching some you know game of the week on December fifteenth in the past. And timing matters too, right? Because even with the people that stay until Christmas Day and think the NBA season starts then, but there's still football going on, and a lot of times the football is the distraction, and so you just really can't get into the NBA. But if you do it, and you do it at such a time in which the semifinals and the finals fall at a time when there's not football and bowl games and things, but that you and you're going to see some NBA teams with a, with something to really play for. People are going to turn over to that. They're going to change the channel. They're going to watch that. They're going to see social media, start conversing about that. And the NBA is going to get exactly what they want out of it. The biggest problem that I have is they've overdone the force feeding of trying to convince you how big this is. I think that everybody will realize when you get to Vegas with the money and the stories that are going to come about the money that's on the line and what's, go- what's at stake, that it's going to do what whatever the NBA wanted it to do. But the courts have been too much and the overdoing of the commercials and the selling. Don't sell me on it because the product itself should sell itself. It's just the fact that it means more earlier in the season. 
But I think that there's enough meat on the bone there that people will follow it and they'll be interested in it when it comes down to the final four teams. I agree with you about the court. I don't agree with like the marketing part of it. Like you have to market it. Like even if you're overdoing it, to a certain it, degree, like you're making it big. Like you're making it big because you're. This isn't a one year play. This is a ten year play. This is something that you want to catch on and be something that's relevant. And I, I like it. Like I, I like that we've had this. Like the Rockets are playing for something tonight. The Rockets were playing for something in the previous game because if they didn't win, they'd be eliminated from contention in their group stage uh so it's cool like it's cool that you have actual stakes even if those stakes are small like i understand that this isn't a championship they're not going to parade if you win this nba in season tournament there's a trophy and there's five hundred thousand dollars so there's some stakes but it's i think cool to have those stakes before christmas basketball ever begins where in the past no one's even paying attention to the nba before christmas i I I did you i do hate the courts the courts are oh my god they're terrible and especially for you calling games or the fact that i used to call games just trying to to decipher it makes it so much tougher to identify numbers and things like that because I was so busy. That. I've never, I've never been on a court like that. Oh my god, so, so I, busy. I so it's just as bad life. Yeah. Okay. And and on top of that, the problem that you have is now because of the city jerseys and all the 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 jerseys that change from the the where the numbers and the names jump on you. It makes it that much more difficult when they're playing on a court with that kind of backdrop to it too, because everything gets kind of lost in it. Mm-hmm. If I could make the analogy, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but when the NBA first started promoting the WNBA, it was one thing because you have a media juggernaut with all your games and your national broadcast to put it in there. But when they kept overdoing it and they took it to different levels and kind of you felt like they were force feeding it on you, that's where you almost got to where you wanted to have, you had reservations about doing it just because it was getting annoying. That's why I'm saying in this case, we know it's going on. And I think it's going to handle its own business once it gets to once these games get to Vegas anyway. But I think they just pushed it a little too far. But I get it; it's the first year they got to get it off the ground because I think they've already won. I think there has been extra attention paid to these games. There has been extra coverage because of these games. And I think the games have been more competitive, and that's the main objective that they should want to have. Y'all should all listen to me whenever I tell you something's going to be good. NBA in-season tournament, I told you this with the pitch clock, too. Everybody was, oh, pitch clock's going to ruin it. No, the pitch clock's better uh, for baseball. All right, let's get to some overreaction Tuesday. What are the hot overreactions around the NFL? What are your overreactions after this week in the NFL? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.